Welcome to Ethics in the Naval Warrior. I'm your host, Michael Sears, at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership. My guest today is a veritable Jack Ryan from the Tom Clancy novels. He is a writer. His fifth and sixth books will be published later this year. He is an historian, a professor at the Naval Academy, and a former Naval Intelligence Officer. Currently, he is the director of the Naval Academy Museum. Welcome, Dr. Claude Barabee. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate uh, that kind introduction, but I think the only thing that Jack Ryan and I share is the fact that we both are scared of flying. <laughs> I get it, but uh, as, as I've known you, I always look at you as that guy who is not only an academic, but a leader, and that's really the thing we're talking about in this uh, in this session today. It's all about leadership and complex educational or academic environments, and that's because you've, you've both been a professor and then the guy who runs the Naval Academy Museum. Tell me, tell me this, what does it mean to be a leader within an academic setting? Well, I think specifically with regard to the Naval Academy, which is different than any other civilian college or university, even those with ROTC programs, we have to remember what our job here is. It's about the mids. And when I taught in poli-sci for seven years, I had a sign above my door just inside that people couldn't see. And I literally just wrote, it's about the mids, to remind me every day why I wanted to teach here, why it's important for us to work with midshipmen. They're the future of our Navy and Marine Corps and the country as a whole. So if we believe in our Navy, if we believe in our Marine Corps, if we believe in the future of our country, we have to do our best to mentor these midshipmen. This is where they learn, and they learn to work together. Those are skills and relationships they need throughout their careers, again, which is, I think, different than any, nearly any other college experience. The bonds between the classmates here are unlike anything I've ever seen, and I'm not a graduate. A leader is about recognizing you don't know everything, and that's why I try to hire people who are better, smarter, more experienced than me. And I incorporate that in my three teaching principles. And so every semester since 2005, the very first slide that I show my midshipmen is that, number one, what I know, I will teach you. Number two, what I don't know, you will teach me. And three, what neither of us knows, we will learn together. And I, I think that forms, at the very outset, a common bond, because it's true. I don't know everything, even after teaching 16 years, and I always find something new. But more importantly, these midshipmen are bringing a range of experiences and thoughts and curiosities, not only from around the country. I, I've taught a couple of international classes now. And so you learn along with them. And I think it's important for them to understand at a very early age that they have something to contribute. They don't just have to sit in the classroom and hear a lecture. And also, I would add, we're in a fishbowl because of the media presence as well as the proximity to DC. That means we're even more accountable as leaders in our personal actions and as leaders in the classroom and outside the classroom. In January of 1991, I came to Washington for the first time to work for uh, Senator George Mitchell, who was majority leader at the time. And first thing he said to me was, uh, Claude, for, welcome. Second, don't do anything that would put you or me on the front page of the Washington Post. And I thought that was pretty good advice. That's great advice. And I appreciate you going there relative to the midshipmen. I'll mirror what you say. 
I learn as much in the classroom with the midshipmen as hopefully they learn with uh, some of my perspectives and experience. So uh, I think you're encouraging the mids to participate because we're all getting smarter just by this interaction. Let me let me ask you this. You were, you're a leader here, and I've asked several folks who've come on this series, let me ask you your thoughts on the difference between authority and responsibility, especially as a leader. Well, I think I learned this in the Navy Reserve. Uh, I'm a commander. I'm still serving as a commander in the Navy Reserve Intel officer. And you can delegate responsibility, but not authority. And here's what I mean by that. Authority is the legal administrative directive to manage a specific entity. It is a stated power or function in a role. A person who is directed with authority is making the decisions for an organization and is ultimately the accountable individual. Responsibility is what any individual is obligated to do within an organization for themselves and for others when people aren't watching. So how does that affect your job as the director of the Academy Museum? And what I mean by that is, I mean, you're the big man. You're the guy who can say anything and people will jump, right? <laughs> Not at all. Uh, I, in fact, with my staff, I always listen to them first. In fact, I just had a conversation with one of them this morning. I said, you know, look, I, I defer to my staff 95% of the time because they are, they're, they're, it's kind of like being on a ship uh, when you're a junior officer and you're talking to the chief. Chief's been around for a long time. Chief knows what he or she's talking about. So does the IS-1. So you want to defer to them as much as possible. What I have tried to do at the museum is trust their experience and respect their duties but have the situational awareness to recognize that there's that 5% of the time where I'm going to say something that they're not going to like, that we have to take an action that they may not support, but there's a reason, a higher reason that I have to do so. So it's not like people jump when I, when I talk. I, I listen first and, and for their suggestions uh, for, you know, we've had a lot of, of relatively high profile incidents uh, with regard to museum work. You wouldn't think so, but we work internet. We work with a lot of international organizations and domestic organizations. Uh, just, you know, Camp David, for example, I was up at Camp David a couple of years, three years ago now for something. So you have to be aware of what's going on beyond the, the ground deck. So when I walk around the museum to see what's going on, I ask them questions so that I have a greater awareness because I'll have a 10,000 foot view that any one of them might not have. But I also, during our meetings, I then convey, here is why. You have to, I think you have to, as a leader, explain why. Because then they, it's not just your, your it's not just the fact that you're coming down with a decision, you're explaining your decision. And hopefully that will help them inform their decisions and work in the future as well. I found that that worked with when I was the officer in charge of a reserve detachment as well. We were straight with each other, consequently worked well together on the missions and, and also when I was deployed. You know, that's uh, let's bring it to the museum. And, and I'll tell you, when I walk around the museum, when I walked around the museum, gosh, all those decades ago, I've always been impressed with those beautiful, intricate models of naval history, naval lore, naval, naval construction. But let's push it forward a little bit and talk about the wargaming initiative that uh, that's getting off the ground at Navy. I remember back in the day I used to play 
board games, uh, Harpoon or Air and Armor, if you remember those things. Mm -hmm. What's the Wargaming Initiative today? This was started last summer. And really, the genesis for this was February of last year. In my reserve capacity, I was attending the Reserve Intelligence Leadership Symposium in Virginia for a few days. And I kept hearing you know, thoughts on wargaming, how we haven't been doing wargaming as a whole. We maybe should do it for the reserves. How can we do it? And so it really began with uh, that idea and defining a need. And so I thought, well, wait a minute. We are at the Naval Academy and we have midshipmen who will be going to the Naval War College. Maybe we can sort of prime the pump a little bit by helping them understand how war games are designed, what the functions are. So it came, started with defining the need, articulating the mission, informing my chain of command, what I planned on doing, working with people. I worked with the history department. So this is a partnership between the museum and the history department, defining, uh, identifying a space that we could use, identifying funding for it, which I already had through the museum. Wonderful, absolutely wonderful alumni who have been supportive of all of my work here at the museum for the past nine years. We identified a core team. We found somebody who could teach a course, a three-credit course on wargaming this semester through the history department. Course filled up in four minutes, which I understand is unheard of. And then there was this grassroots effort through the midshipmen, and especially these two third-class midshipmen who are leading the effort for a new ECA. They've already filled out all the forms, and they are just spectacular. So we have now had midshipmen at the museum on Friday nights, on Saturdays, not only for the class, but for this emerging ECA that we hope will be formally established soon. The midshipmen in the class, uh, there are 17 of them, and they've divided into five teams, and they are designing their own games. We went with tabletop vice computer games for this Wargaming Initiative because it really does force them to think through game functions and dynamics in a way that a computerized game can't. So we've allowed them to design their own game, and they are going to be playing out their games before some experts from Naval War College and elsewhere. And quite frankly, we don't think we could have done this without uh, the outreach and the support from other organizations. We have uh, worked with Air Force Academy, our counterparts there, West Point. The CIA sent two people in to uh, run a couple of their war games. Naval War College, RAND, and certainly Quantico, which has been absolutely extraordinary. So there really is this burgeoning movement. And I think I wasn't leading anything. I was identifying a trend and trying to articulate that trend in and incorporate that into midshipman education. Do you have to be a history major or a computer buff to, to have fun and learn with this? Not at all. Uh, we have all majors that are participating through the ECA. We have a systems engineering major. I think we have almost every major covered. But the beauty of this is that war games aren't only for history majors, or they're not only just hit naval history games. You can There are games designed for political science. You can even use games in the language department or mathematics or weapons so this is something that could be far more broad than it currently is. Professor Barabee, thank you very much for this discussion about, number one, complex leadership in an academic environment, and number two, about this new initiative in wargaming. It sounds like it's going to be a hit. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Stockdale Minute 
a series of podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership at the United States Naval Academy. You can hear more podcasts at stockdalecenter.com slash podcasts.